Good morning, IBCA. Um, I invite you this morning to take your Bibles and open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's the closing and final chapter of that epistle to the church in Thessalonica. It's a joy to worship with you all here this morning. Uh, before we get started, I want to take some time to uh, just to pray for the Lord's blessing on the word as it, as it is read. I also want to take a moment to recognize those who have been keeping us as a free country, the fact that we can worship here with freedom of our own religion. Um, do we have any military men or men who have served in the military in the house? If you would just please stand. We got Jeremy. Ah, there. Yeah, very good. I see him. All right, everyone, if you just want to give a round of applause and gratitude to these men, thank you all so much. Go ahead, my brothers, and be seated. We appreciate all that you guys have sacrificed and put in to keep us free. Allow me to go to the Lord to ask his blessing over your lives. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for those who have given their lives to protect our freedoms to ensure that we can worship you without fear of persecution. For those who have um, given up time with family, Lord, given up career dreams. Some of them have given up their health in order to keep us free. And Lord, we bless your name and thank you for their service this day. Lord, we pray that as you have used them to secure our freedoms, that you would remind them that you have loved them and you have secured their freedom spiritually, Lord, from bondage, and that they could always rejoice and give thanks to you each day of their lives. Father, we pray that you would meet their needs and continue uh, to use them to be a blessing to others, even as we here today have been blessed by them. Father, now at this time, we want to give you our utmost attention to see what your word has to say to us this morning. And we pray your spirit would come and lead us and teach us and transform us so that we would go out into this week changed, ready to worship you with every fiber of our being. We ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, I have a baby coming in a week, and so uh, we actually have three other brothers lined up in the weeks to come to breach, with uh, Alex coming next week. Our brother Alex is out preaching today. Uh, brother Thomas will be taking the week after, and I believe then it will be our brother Charlie. Um, and so I may not be up here to exhort you all for the next three weeks. I had something heavy on my heart to share with you all before I depart the pulpit for about a month. Uh, last week, we talked about the importance of basing our gratitude on the Lord our God. The fact that he needs to be the anchor for our gratitude. We can be thankful and grateful for a lot of things in life. But if that gratitude doesn't go back to the one who has given us every good and perfect gift, we're going to quickly lose our gratitude. And at the end of that sermon last week, I mentioned Paul gives us this uh, this call to rejoicing. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18, if you want to look down there at that passage, he says that we are to rejoice always, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And it's not just a call or a challenge he's given. He says, Paul says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want you all to think about that for a moment. This is not just a good thing for you to do as a Christian, to always be rejoicing and to always be in prayer and to, in all circumstances, thank God. But this is what God desires for you, his will 
for you in Jesus Christ. What a statement. What a picture. Can you guys imagine what your life would look like? I want you to think about your daily lives, your regular week. What would it look like if at all times you were rejoicing, if all throughout the day you were continuously in prayer to God, What would it look like if in every circumstance that comes up, good, bad, or neutral, you were giving thanks? Wow, what kind of life would that be? Does that excite you if you thought about your life being that overflowing with gratitude? That excites me. I want want to have that kind of a life. I don't know about you, but I find that too often I'm prone to complaining. I'm prone to being dissatisfied. I'm prone to being frustrated about things happening in my life. I would so much rather have this type of joy. But can we really arrive there is the question. Is this some type of fairy tale state? that is just like an ideal that you hope to get to? Is it really possible to be rejoicing all the time? I mean, let's be honest. If we met someone like that, we'd probably be a little bit weirded out. Like, what is up with this person? Are you always happy? What's going on with that, right? Uh, Because we're so far from being in this state of constant rejoicing, prayer, and thanksgiving. I mean, more often we are, you know, frustrated, disappointed, you know, worried about the future, I recently came across this website that tries to help people with their happiness and gratitude. And they have this once a day challenge of different things you can do. This is what they suggest if you always want to try to be happy each day. Take a few moments to bask in silence. Okay? Take a walk to appreciate beauty around you. Not very deep here, huh? Protect your energy by saying no. Hmm. Watch an uplifting movie. Spend money on others for a happiness boost. You you know what this sounds like? This sounds like fortune cookie instructions, does it not? I'm not trying to throw shade at whoever put that together. They're trying to help people be more grateful in life because they recognize that there's, it's good for us to be happy, thankful people. But when you hear about all these little things you know that's not going to work, right? What if in the silence of the day, you're attacked by sudden fears and worries? We know that happens. What if you walk around and it's winter and and it's, it's, it's freezing out there and it's Texas, right? Maybe you don't think that there's so much to... To, to, to rejoice in around you? What if you pr- say no to protect your energy and you find at the end of the day you've spent it on yourself for charging and you feel drained? How many of y'all have been there? I'm not going out today. I'm tired. I'm going to spend it on myself. You get to the end of the evening and you're worn out and you're, I'm, I'm not refreshed at all. We've all been there, right? What if you watch a movie that you think is going to lift your spirit and it's just lost its charm? You all have your movie favorites, You've all been there before where you're like, okay, maybe it's not quite as good as the first three times, right? What if you spend your money on others and you're still unhappy and still unfulfilled? Are we really left scrounging around in life for such small ways of trying to be thankful such as this? And thankfully, the answer is no as we look at the Word of God this morning. Friends, I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 with me today because the passage that we read earlier about always being thankful and always being in prayer and always rejoicing doesn't come in a vacuum. There's a context behind it, and I invite us to turn our attention to it this morning. 
there is a reason for why we can have this type of continual rejoicing, even when things are difficult. Let's start with the first three verses. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Wow. You're like, this context seems kind of gloomy. Indeed. we. Paul starts out here in the chapter 5 with a reminder that there is coming a day of the return of Christ, and that day is a day of judgment. And he warns us against having this mentality that all is well and great in life, and I'm just here to enjoy it. There are people that have preached some type of message that this life is all about just enjoying good things and God's blessings. You've heard positivity preachers before. You've heard pop psychology that you just want to live the best you can in this life and enjoy it as much as you can. And Paul warns against this, that this world is not filled with peace and safety. And by the way, that's self-evident. We know that's not true, right, physically, That's why we have military men, men who commit themselves to learning how to protect others, because we do do not live in a world full of peace and safety. But even more importantly than the fact that physically it's not a world of peace and safety, spiritually this is not a world of peace and safety. It's quite the opposite. It is a world of constant conflict and danger. Right? We need to remember we're in a world that is under the influence of Satan, the accuser. He does not want the people in this world to turn to the living God. He doesn't want the people who do know God to live for God. And your souls and your lives are under siege day after day. And Paul's saying, don't forget that. Don't forget that Jesus Christ is coming back one day and he's going to bring all things into account. And if you don't know him, well, you better get ready for his return. And if you do know him, remember that you should be living for him. And so the enemy is going to want to tell you, keep living for the weekend. I know a lot of us struggle with that. You work long, hard hours during the week, 40 to 60 hours, and you can't wait for the weekend to just be with your family and hang out with your friends. Look out. For the, for the temptation to just live for that weekend time. Look out for just looking towards your next goal and your next achievement, your next vacation, for looking out for your, uh, uh, the, the next landmark for your hobby, for just seeing your children get to the next stage. We can't just live this life like everything is at peace and, 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 and at calm here spiritually. There is a spiritual war right? And he warns us, if you're not careful, that day is coming, a day of destruction, he says here, is going to come upon you suddenly like labor pains, right? My wife is getting ready to deliver a baby. That's excruciating otherworldly pain, that there's no other comparable pain, right? There's nothing that a man can do to know how painful delivery is for a woman, the ultimate pain. And he's saying, if If you're not someone that is aware of the coming and the return of the Lord, beware, right? So kind of heavy to start out, but here's where it gets good for the believer, right? Look at verses 4 to 11. Now, in view of this coming judgment, what does a believer have to look forward to? But you, brothers and sisters, are not 
in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like the others who, who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. The first reason that you and I can respond to Paul's call for continual rejoicing is that we have a new and secure identity in Jesus Christ. Once again, the first reason we can respond to Paul's call for continual rejoicing is that we have this new identity. Three things we're going to talk about today. Identity, you can write that down. Family, write that down. And finally, intimacy. You can write that down. We're going to get to the other two in just a second. Number one, our identity in Jesus Christ. I know I talk about this one a whole lot, but it's because it's so important in this life. When things go awry in this life, when your life becomes out of your anticipation and prediction, the way that you hoped things would be, when things get difficult, what you have to fall back on ultimately is your identity. Who am I ultimately? My identity is not in a job. It's not in being the best parent ever. It's not in being a lovable person or spouse. You got to have a better foundation for your identity. It's also important because when life is going so well and you get drawn in by this world, if you don't know your identity, you're going to be like that person who's not ready for the return of the Lord. And you may live 50, 60, 80 years in this world, and when Christ returns, you may realize, I have invested everything in vain because I have nothing to show before the Lord. Identity matters. What is our identity? Scripture presents so often God as being light. He uses, uh, scripture uses this analogy that uh, God is light. He is the one that is fully truthful, fully righteous, fully holy and just. And in him and who he is, we can see the world as we ought to. But the, the, the opposite is also true. That the world and this broken world around us is viewed as darkness. It does not know the truth of God. It is a fallen world filled with fallen people that have rejected the truth of God. That's what Romans 1 tells us. That all of us have, are people that have gone astray. We are people that have turned away from worshiping God, even though we know that we ought to, and we've started to worship ourselves. We've started to reject the truth of God, to go our own way. And that is what it means when it says that this world is uh, uh, you know, a, a place that is in the dark. You know, when it talks about how we've been brought into God's marvelous light, out of darkness, we are brought out of a world that did not know God, that was separated from God. And I want to remind us this morning that that was once you and I. We were once those that were far from God and we didn't know him. We were like those, imagine people, someone being trapped in a dark cell, no access to any type of tools. Can such a person 
bring about light in that room? Absolutely not. You have no means. You can use every bodily process you have available to you, and you will never in a million years generate light on your own. How many of y'all watched Cast Away before? You remember how happy, uh, uh, I don't even, what was the actor, Thomas, help me out? Tom Hanks. You remember how happy Tom Hanks is when he makes fire, right? He's dancing around that fire pit. He's rejoicing. Well, he didn't make that on his own. He had the right tools for the moment. Get this. Human beings cannot generate light on our own. We are made to seek it. We are made to perceive light. I'm talking about physical light. And much the same spiritually, God made that a very good analogy because we realize we need to seek truth. We need to seek understanding outside of ourselves. And Paul reminds us here that you are children of the light, children of the day. We're not people stuck in darkness anymore. We're not people wandering this life with no idea of what we should be doing and where we should be headed. We were once there. We were once people trapped like a person in a cell in darkness, but God intervened through the word. Jesus Christ came to us, the one who was from eternity past with God, the one in whom there was life. He came, as John 1 says, as the light of the world. Because of Jesus, you and I are not people that have no clue where we're headed and who we are anymore. As Christians, we understand we are people radically saved by the mercy and the grace of God. Look down with me at verse 9. What does it say about why God saved us? For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Christ covered us with his sacrifice because he loves us so dearly. Folks, we need to remember that identity. Your identity is not in what you can achieve or how much people commend you. We live, sadly, in a world where a lot of people measure their identity by the number of subscribers or followers or likes they get on their posts. And that sounds juvenile and foolish, but you know we all tend to measure ourselves by how others affirm us. But remember today, that's not your identity. If your identity is what the world thinks of you, you're going to be up and down all the time, sometimes rejoicing, sometimes lamenting. But if your identity is firmly rooted in the fact that God so loves you, he has not appointed you to suffer his wrath, but instead he gave you Jesus Christ, his son, to bring you out of the darkness so that now you can live in his truth and live in a way where you are you are fulfilling your purpose in life to glorify him and to live for eternal things, then you can rejoice every day, all the day. And so, in view of this truth of who you are in verse 6, it says, So then, since you're children of the light, let us not be like the others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. I'm really, uh, it's unfortunate that the word woke has been kind of hijacked by our modern culture wars. But in a way, Christians, we do need to be awake in the sense that we realize that we've been saved for an entirely new life. I want you to imagine with me that there was an uh, 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 orphan, a young orphan beggar who's been brought into a life of drugs and is stuck alcoholism, and can do nothing else but be a slave to their desires, right? No hope in life and no direction. Imagine someone were to come along and take that beggar orphan and 
pay off their debts for whatever they owed and bring them to rehabilitate them and to tenderly restore them to having a sound mind, to get them out of their addictions. And imagine that he now takes them and trains them to give them a skill set for an occupation. And he has dressed them and you know, taken that orphan and adopted them to now be a part of the family, someone that is prestigious, someone that is part of a, 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 a worthy company or business to do something meaningful in life. How tragic would it be for such a person restored in such a manner to run back to the slums, to go back to drugs, to go back to their alcoholism, and to be trapped there once again. Folks, there's a greater tragedy than that, and that would be that those who are previously in darkness, separated from God, that we would be mightily saved out of a life of pursuing the flesh, out of a life of just following our desires, be brought into the kingdom of light, be brought into the family of God, be fully forgiven, be given a new name and a new purpose to honor the Lord and turn around and go back to living in the darkness. And Paul says, that's not for you, folks. If you're a Christian, that's not what God intended for you. Friends, Jesus Christ has secured a new identity for us. We are not like that. We are not to be like that beggar going back to his old way. And with this in mind, he says in verse 11, therefore, knowing who you are now in Jesus Christ, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. One of the most important things that we do for one another as Christians is remind each other of our identity in Jesus Christ. We are very, very quick to forget it. Because there's days that you're going to feel like a filthy sinner and you can't get away from your own desires. There's going to be days where you feel like you're a failing spouse, a failing parent, a failing friend. You know that day has come before, don't you? You know that there's days where I'm going to feel like life is bleak and meaningless and nothing that I'm striving for is fulfilling me. There's days where I'm going to be too satisfied with worldly things and I'm going to be so caught up in chasing after my own dreams. There's days where I'm going to turn my, my work and my pursuits into my identity. And by the way, that's idolatry. There's going to be days where I click on my phone to find my next means for just entertainment, and it's going to lock me there for hours. In those days, you need someone to encourage you. You need someone to build you up and remind you that's not your identity. That's not who you are. You've been meant for so much more and so much better. And we're about to get to it. So first, can I just ask this question here today? Have you been living as someone that's been living more in the darkness? Are you someone that is awake and sober-minded? You're aware of what God saved you for. You're aware for how you should live. You're aware of which way you should be headed. Or are you someone that's been dragged down back into the old principles and pursuits of the world? It's easy to fall back into it, folks, but I want us to remember this morning that we have an identity that we can rejoice in, that we, we ought to rejoice in every single day of our lives. We need to start with that. Start each day with a reminder of who we are. We're someone that was desperately in trouble, in darkness, and we have been radically saved out of that place of desperation and brought onto a path of meaningful living 
Um, so uh, number one, we have a reason uh, we can respond to Paul's call for continual rejoicing because we have an identity that lasts. It's secure. It will never be taken away for us. Number two, we can rejoice and respond to Paul's call for continual rejoicing because God has provided not only identity for us, but family. I want you guys to look at these next few verses with me here, verses 12 to 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Actually, let's just stop there for now. We end with that uh, verse 16 to 18, this, this exhortation to rejoice, pray continually, give thanks always, but realize what came right before. It is this reminder that we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And God has provided for us family to lead us and encourage us and build us up. It says here in this passage, verse 12, Acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. I think all of us, if we were a Christian today, we've had someone like that in our lives. In fact, earlier this week, I just talked with Dr. Lee, who gave me a call, and uh, I talked with my dad uh, just earlier this week as well, and I was, uh, that was before I knew I was preaching this passage. And I had a chance to do that, and I had a chance just to rejoice. Thank you, Lord that you've put someone like that in my life. When I needed them, they were there to give me guidance. No, they weren't perfect. No, there were times they fell short, but I thank you, Lord, for the impact they left on my life. Have you all had a mentor, a coach, someone in your life that was there, that, is, that has been a big part of who you have become today? Paul exhorts us, give an acknowledgement. I like the ESV here. Uh, there's a sense of recognition or respect Give that respect to those who have worked hard among you and cared for you in the Lord, who, had, who admonish you. These are people that are not afraid to sometimes risk their relation with us to speak truth into our lives. If you've got someone like that in your life, hang on to them. Don't drive them away. If someone's willing to tell you what's up and level with you, that's someone precious. It's a lot of people that don't care enough about you to tell you when you're going off the wrong path. If you've got a friend like that, be encouraged by the fact that God has given them to you. It, here it says, these are people who work hard among you. In some translations, that, that word is labor. People that have invested, they, they, they pour themselves out into you. In the church, we ought to be people working hard for one another. People that are striving to build each other up and to encourage each other. And when you, when you find someone like that in your life, don't withhold gratitude towards them. I shouldn't have waited so long to tell my father and my mentors how much they've meant to me. And I know that when I did, I could tell what it meant to them. And I can tell you that last month I was so encouraged by your reminders, right? All the ways that you guys showed love and gratitude for Charlie and I. We really appreciate that. We're not people that are just mechanical, that just keep pushing. 
we need encouragement too sometimes. So thank you all for that. I am grateful to have a church like you all that, uh, that really knows how to come alongside its pastors to encourage them. And so number one, there's an encouragement to recognize and acknowledge those family members in the church that are kind of like older brothers and sisters, right? But then there's also those who uh, are kind of like peers to us. Look at this in verse 14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. This is not just for the mentor. This is for all of us, that there are sometimes people that have forgotten how they should be living for the Lord. Come alongside them. There are people that are defeated because the week has been brutal, and they need someone to come and tell them, you know what, it's all right, I am praying with you, and God's going to bring good out of it on the other end of this week or the next week. We need people that are going to uh, be patient with us because we're all frustrating people. Believe it that we're not easy to live with, right? Anyone that thinks that they're easy to live with is already not easy to live with, right? And it says in verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. We're gonna, we're gonna step on each other's toes as family. How many of you, you here have had a family member that you've never bothered or argued with? It is impossible. It will never happen in a million years with a million families because by nature, we are fallen people in a mortal body and we're going to fall short. The church family is meant to be that place where we're patient and kind-hearted, tender-hearted towards one another. It's that place where someone should be able to experience the fact that we can be forgiven. We can be loved despite our issues, right? And it says, all oh, strive to do is good for each other and for everyone else. The family should be that place, the church family in particular, should be that place where we look to the needs of one another without us having to give something in return. And so we have this family that we were given in Jesus Christ. Do you remember when John took, uh, Jesus took John to his mother and said, behold your son, and he said to his mother, behold, uh, sorry, said to John, behold your mother, you know, looking at his mom. He intended for the church to be this family for one another. Why is this important? Because through this life, there's exceedingly, there's exceeding number, uh, amount, a large number of things that can come and cause you discouragement and cause you to wander from God. But there's only one family that's been given to you to bring you back to him. That's your church family. And church, when we are living in this type of manner with each other, where we are pouring into each other, we are laboring hard for each other, we are admonishing and exhorting each other, like, like walking in the truth and pushing each other uh, when we need to be pushed, when we are forgiving and overlooking each other's wrongs, you know what that does for us? It gives you reason to rejoice all through the week. When you get that text or that reminder from someone that they are following up on your prayer request, what does that do for you? Instant gratitude. When someone comes along and prays over you on Sunday, right? What does that do for you? It makes you rejoice in the Lord again. When you pour into someone else and you see they start to grow and start to walk in the Lord, what does that do for you? It causes this, this great joy to well up inside. One, I, I dare say, is better than any other joy we would have in this life is to see someone growing in Christ-likeness and to know I got to be a part of that. Folks, it is a beautiful cycle of rejoicing that God provides when the church acts as the church but it requires investment. It requires us to look at our brothers and sisters and say, I'm going to be a part of your life no matter how intolerable you become. But church, 
That's one of the reasons that we can do what Paul is challenging us to do here. One reason we can always rejoice and pray continually and give thanks in every circumstance is that when you're in a family of believers, all as serving and seeking after the Lord, we have so many reasons to rejoice as we see God's faithfulness, not just in our own limited life, but you see it in the lives of all these different people around you continually, right? Do not underestimate the importance of your church family when it comes to having a joyful, thankful life. Finally, third, we look at intimacy. Verse 19 to the close. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who caused you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Last point is on intimacy. Not intimacy between us and one another, but our intimacy with God. Look at what it says here. Don't quench the spirit. What does this have to do with rejoicing? and praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances? The answer is everything. The Spirit of God is that one who is inside of us that continually reminds us of our identity and who we are. He is the one inside of us that empowers us to be the family member to our church that we are invited to be. He is the one that causes us to be able to resist temptation and to live in right fellowship with God. He is the one that convicts us when we go astray and reminds us that we can be brought back. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and, uh, and leads us into deeper prayer with God. He is the one that causes us to bear fruit of, what is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. How can you be joyful in life if the Spirit of God does not have control over your life? And this is a big issue for us. We fill ourselves with all sorts of things in this life. We have virtually replaced the Holy Spirit in this day and age with our phones. If I need to uh, um, uh, find something to do instead of asking the Lord, what should I do? Well, let me just go to the phone, right? Instead of checking the, uh, our, our calendar with the Lord and asking him to fill it out, we go to our Google calendars, right? And instead of uh, looking to see uh, how the Spirit may want us to come and be involved in our church family, we just see what's next on Amazon or YouTube. The Holy Spirit has largely been squelched in many of our lives because we have failed to be mindful that he is a person and he is meant to be a part of every part of our life right? Spirit of God is in us, not just as a spectator. He's meant to be there as your coach, the counselor for you, the paraclete who comes alongside you. And we need him, folks, in everything that you do, from big to small, from changing my baby's diaper with a good attitude to being a loving husband and forgiving when my wife and I get into a feud. The Spirit is at the center of it all. Folks, can I ask you a question how much role does the Spirit play in your lives? Do you make room 
in your life for him by surrendering and submitting those areas where we want to be in control, we want our own way, we want our own pursuits, do we come before God and say, Lord, help me to deny myself, help me to pick up my cross to follow after you. When you decide, Lord, I don't want my way anymore, I want your way, you come and fill my life. You come and and use me as you will. That is how you open yourself up to the Spirit of God coming and filling you And one way that we quench the Spirit is by not letting him do that. Another way is by shortchanging what the Spirit can do in your life. Imagine what we're saying to the Lord when we decide, God, I don't think you can really help me here. You can't help me to change. You can't help my circumstances to uh, to go differently. I'm going to do it all on my own. Instead of praying in faith, Lord, Give me what I need to be able to stand firm. Give me the wisdom I need to be able to make the right decision. Instead of doing that, we go our own way. What we are essentially saying is, Holy Spirit, you're not so powerful, or I'm powerful enough to do it without you. It's quenching the Spirit, right? To say that, Lord, I don't need you to speak into my life. I don't need others to come and hold me accountable or to take the word of God to me. I don't need to come across your word each day for my daily bread. It's quenching the spirit, right? To say that I am totally fine on my own to make it in this life is essentially to, to, st- to stamp out the power and the work of the spirit in our lives. And it's not just, by the way, the spirit that's in us and with us at all times. It's God himself who's involved in this process of working and changing us in our lives, right? It says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. By the way, that's part of the Spirit sometimes will we'll come and take the truth of God and apply it to our life, or he'll, sometimes he may come and work through someone else to bring part of Scripture into our lives. Don't, don't despise that. But of course, test all that people say is coming from the Lord. And it says, hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil, But I want you to see what follows that exhortation, right? As we walk with the Spirit, we're going to pursue what is good. We're going to reject what is evil. But just remember, it's not you who accomplishes it, right? Verse 23, may God himself. The Lord did not decide to do a proxy salvation. He came near to us. He came here into our world and into our lives to transform us and to walk with us. Aren't you glad God didn't go remote, right? He didn't just say, here, I'll send you a little bit of something and I'll follow this outline. God has given himself to us. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through so that your whole spirit and soul will be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, not you and I, but the one who calls you is faithful and he's going to be the one to do it. I want you guys to remember this as we're thinking about rejoicing in the Lord, praying constantly, always being thankful. It's hard to do that when you constantly feel like you're a failure. It's hard to do that when you feel like you're constantly falling short. And we need to remember as Christians that we're not just called to become these better people, right? We are called ultimately to trust in the Lord, and he does the transformation, Right, And what this does is it makes us go from feeling miserable that we aren't being the Christians that we should be or the parents we should be or the coworker we should be, and it allows us to experience grace. 
As we're reminded, this is the very reason I need God. And when you grow, instead of taking it for granted, you rejoice in the fact that God is the one who is working in your life, who is willing things in your life. And you see day by day and step by step how he is walking with you. Do you have that kind of intimacy with God? Do you have this type of walk with God where you are seeing in your life regularly how he is at work despite you? That's the kind of intimacy we were meant to have with God. One where he can see every last wrinkle of your failure and that you would, despite your best efforts, recognize that you cannot do it and yet still be 100% assured that God fully loves you and that he's fully walking with you. He's not giving up on you, right? And he's still transforming you. Folks, that's what God has intended for you and I in our walk with him. It is this intimacy. And it is this intimacy that continues to bring joy into our life. If we have the first two, if you know up here cerebrally who you are in Christ, and you can draw on that, that's good. If you have friends in the church that you can turn to that encourage you, that's good. But if you lack this third area of intimacy with God, where each day and each moment of your day, you're experiencing his grace and mercy over our broken and wretched lives that fall short, you're never going to be able to rejoice at all times. You're never going to always be able to be thankful. You're never always going to be in const- you're never going to be in continual prayer because God's not a part of your day-to-day life. Right? And so church, this intimacy with the Lord is is so crucial for us. I know that's you might be wondering, well, how do I get to there? How do I how do I come to a point where I walk with the Lord moment by moment? It is a practice of recognizing that your life is not about you living for your own purposes anymore. But if we can acknowledge, Lord, you purchased this life with the blood of Christ, and it belongs to you, and I belong to you, and you belong to me. You've given yourself for me. We can start to practice that moment by moment. That life is not breathing air and going from Monday to Sunday. Life, eternal life, is walking with your loving Savior day by day. That is how you get to intimacy. And folks, your identity, remembering it, and the church is there to remind you of number three, the fact that you have this precious relationship and walk with God. Praise God that our salvation does not hinge upon performance. But you know what? Praise God all the more for the fact that this relationship and our sanctification with God does not hinge upon performance. God is walking with you, whether or not you know it. I want to pray here and now if you will bow your heads. For those of you who have been far from the Lord, you've not had that intimacy. Maybe you've been far from the church family for a while. Maybe you've found your identity in the wrong things. I want to invite you to come back to the Lord now, here and now, and ask the Lord to restore that joy, to give you this gratitude that is overflowing for all that he has provided in your identity, in your family, and in intimacy with himself. Do you take a moment now to come and just give him the praise, give him the gratitude, pour out 
your honor and your praising to the Lord for all he has done for you from now to eternity. If you are someone that has been walking in the shadow of shame, you feel like you've been far off from God and you don't deserve to be near to him, can I just invite you to receive his mercy and grace? That God promises us in his word that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive. Believe that he has the same heart of the father in that parable of the prodigal son. You can come running back, having squandered everything else with nothing to offer, and our Lord takes you back. Would you take a moment to thank the Lord for those mentors in your life? Maybe it's a mom, a dad. Maybe it's a discipler in your life. Someone that had that spiritual impact. I want you to thank the Lord for them. Thank the Lord for the brothers and sisters around you that haven't give up, given up on you yet. They're still walking with you and they still love you. Don't take them for granted. Those are precious friends. Those are friends that you won't find in this world apart from Christ because they are people under his grace. They can forgive you and love you but the love that Christ has shown them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for people that show agape love. Would you take a moment to praise the Lord for the fact that there is no height, no depth, nothing in heaven, nothing on the earth below. Not even death itself can separate you from the love of Christ. Oh, would you bask in that truth? Lord, however poorly I live this next week, it is not going to diminish your love for me. Lord, however little I can offer to you when you return in judgment, it will not taint the way that you see me because Jesus has paid it all. In every lustful thought, every rebellious action, every selfish and wayward decision I have made, you've covered it through the blood of Jesus Christ, now and forever. Oh, thank you, Lord. How could I ever, ever forget? How could I ever cease to praise you when you've lavished such love upon us? Father, I pray for our church. Join me praying now, church. Father, I pray that you would make us a church that truly bears with one another. Lord, make us a church that loves each other enough to fight for one another. That when we see a brother and a sister going astray, that we wouldn't ignore them, but we would lovingly come around them and say, friend, we want you back in the circle of our fellowship. Lord, make us such a church when one person is lacking, that the church would rise up. And if we have to sell things and we need to give away things, that we would make sure that brother or sister is provided for. Lord, make us such a church that when someone harms us with words or treats us unfairly, that we would say, I forgive you. I love you as Christ has loved me. And I am overlooking that offense. Father, we are so far from it. But we thank you, Lord, 
that it is you, O oh God, who works in us, who will present us blameless one day. So we pray here and now as one church, Lord, that you would carry out that work of transformation in our hearts and in intimacy lead us as our Father and as our Shepherd. Take a moment now to continue to search your own hearts and seek the Lord. And I want to invite you to pour out your blessing and your gratitude upon Him and ask Him to make you someone that can respond to the call of Paul to continually rejoice.